Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome listeners to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Let me ask, have you ever just sat back in a quiet room, closed your eyes, listened to that perfect album, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, Rush's 2112? I know what you're thinking, but we're not going there. Uh, But you probably have. I mean, that's how great music is supposed to be listened to. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever done that when watching a movie? Just closed your eyes and you listen to the dialogue, you listen to the ambience, the sound effects, the subtle and the not so subtle sounds uh, that take place. While film started as, and it will always be a visual medium, it's really the sound that brings movies to life. Our guest today has worked in film, television, commercials, music, both live and studio. Uh, basically, if you've heard it, he's worked in it. Uh, he's an accomplished multidisciplinary audio engineer. I'm pleased to welcome Abraham Olegzniansky to our show. Abe, welcome. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right into it. Let's go back to the beginning. Where and how did you get your start and begin working with sound? Well, that went back to my the start of my college days, but I think it came up just before I went into college when I was in high school, where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in, in school or what I wanted to study. Uh, I was a musician growing up. Um, you know, I, I, in middle school, I started playing the viola in orchestras, and I was also really good with technology. I worked in a uh, in a family company that specialized in IT work, so I ha- always had these th- these two different areas that I was really good at: music and technology. I, I was a, a gadget nut. I always had something. I was always the kid in middle school who had a little pump pilot. If you remember those, I do. Uh, and I was the one typing notes in middle school. Like that's how nerdy I was. But um, when I was when I was in high school and I was trying to figure out what to do uh, in college, someone randomly suggested, "Be like, I can see you working in." Uh, in like studios or something. And I I thought about it for a second. I'm like, that actually makes total sense. It's a like perfect combination of music and technology. And so now I get all the gadgets and all the sound and all the music. So that's really how it got started. I mean, even before that, like my father grew up being a DJ, one of the first DJs in South Florida, Uh, you know, parties and events, not like DJs today at like Ultrafest or anything like that. But, uh, you know, he's party DJ. So it's, it's kind of interesting how I kind of branched off into doing something sound related. That's really cool. So when you were in high school, did your high school provide, did they have a decent amount of technology that you could learn on? I know sometimes, you know, there's a fine line, especially like like the arts often suffer from budgets, but usually technology is pretty good. Yeah. So I actually went to the Performing Arts High School, New World School of the Arts in downtown Miami. Uh, So my whole education in high school was arts focused. It's not like going to, you know, necessarily, you know, like a regular public school where it's like an afterthought, like everything we did was arts focused. All, I left high school with 24 college credits because all of our, whether it was music, dance, theater, visual, 
visual art. All of the arts classes were actually college level. So they gave us college credits. So for those of you in New York, uh, he basically, he went to the fame of Florida. Yeah, you could, you, you could say that. LaGuardia School of Performing Arts. So so thinking back, is there, you know, you were a musician. Is there a piece of music? Is there a film? Is there something that really stands out that you listen to? And it's like, wow, I want to be the guy that either creates that or I want to be the guy that like captures that and makes that sound great. So this is going to sound super cliche, but I would think it's probably Star Wars. Uh, so I grew up, my, me and my dad, we both love Star Wars. And, you know, I grew up, he, he would put in a home theater system in the house. And, you know, every once in a while, we would just hear those opening notes. And he just had the music so loud. My mom would be like, turn it down. But, you know, those are like my first experiences with music. Um, you know, just hearing those notes. And I was always like a classical music nut growing up. I didn't listen to normal music. But if we're talking about the very beginning, it's probably Star Wars. Uh, in the beginning, I actually wanted to like work in the recording studios that recorded film music. Um, but then I branched off and started doing other things. But to answer your question, it's Star Wars. It's interesting. Star Wars comes up a lot on this podcast. We've talked about it as, uh, you know, it's really the archetype. It's the definitive hero's journey movie. And, you know, how you know, we could go on how movies have kind of gotten away from that um, for spectacle. But yeah, the sound and the, uh, the THX before the movie, that, when that thing comes in, that's when you know. You're in, you're in for a good ride. You're in for a treat. That's on it. So, you know, as you were, as you were learning learning your craft, learning your trade, what was probably the hardest skill to learn? Like what was something that came naturally and what, what was something that you really had to put the time into master? Well, I think I mean, this doesn't happen so much necessarily on like film sets, but like really hearing um, sound in a more scientific sense, like really like digesting it in terms of frequencies and, you know, noises that you're listening for, specifically frequencies, because I started off in music and when they were teaching us, be like, you got to EQ, you know, the instruments and whatever. And in the beginning, I was like, I recorded an instrument. I'm like, it sounds fine. I don't really know what EQ to do with it because you, you don't really listen for it, but it takes like extensive amounts of listening time. I, I didn't really get that in the beginning. Extensive amounts of listening time to really understand sound is like a frequency spectrum, not just, oh, this is an instrument or that's a, a lav rustle noise or whatever. Right. Um, it, it's just really being able to like hear past the big picture and hear these very minute things that now I'm more prone to. But if I try and explain to anybody else, they're like, what are you listening for? I, I'll hear things nowadays and people just don't know what I'm talking about if I try to tell it to them. Right. That's really where like the art and the science come together on it. And speaking, when I was in film school, my sound design, event sound design courses, all the kilohertz EQ and everything just right over my bald head. That's why when I make films, I, I try to find people like you that know what they're doing as opposed to relying on myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, as a musician, how did that really play into other things? Like, you know, you're used to, this is how music should sound, but then, you know, you start listening to dialogue, you start listening to other things, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, sound effects, practical effects, you know, even like recording ambience that's on there. Do you kind of reach back 
into your music background or is every little thing different? They're all different in a sense, but they're all connected. I don't listen to them any different. Um, It's just, I don't know, my brain has a switch where I, at least nowadays, where I know I'm listening to one thing and my brain kind of shifts into that focus. Like if I'm listening to miking up a cello, that's very different from miking up a lav on a person or or, or even recording sound for like Foley effects or whatever. Mm -hmm. My brain has like different distinct ways of listening to those things Uh, and i would say that's true for any audio engineer not just me um maybe they maybe other engineers would describe it differently but for me i know it's like okay i know i need to be listening to this or my brain kind of shifts into this focus or that focus but at the end of the day they're all connected I'm, i'm listening to them in a certain way it's just like my brain shifts a kind of kind of goes down a different road, but it's like the same road. It's kind of like a different lane in the same highway kind of deal. Interesting. You just made me think of something. So I know like when you go see a, like a Broadway play, for example, they're wearing these like head microphones that's on it. That's actually intended not to pick up their voice, but it's actually picking up everybody else's. From what I understand, is that how they're supposed to work? Or how are, I'm assuming having a microphone on your forehead is different than having a lav on your... It's a different placement um, for sure. I wouldn't say that it's meant to pick up others. I, I think what you might be thinking of is the fact that they're omnidirectional microphones and that they pick Pick up sound from everywhere, okay. but theater sound has a very specific application um, in terms of mic placement and the way you work with it. Uh, I know because I've done some theater work as well. The head placement is actually because that's where you get the most consistent sound for the voice because they're not they're not just speaking. They're well, I mean, if you're doing straight theater, yeah, you're speaking. Uh, if you're doing musicals specifically, that's where you get the most consistent sound because the nasal cavity is right there, and, and that's where singers know to they train their voice to, pro- to project it a certain way. They make this resonant cavity really resonate with their with their sound and their tone. And it's funny that you said you thought they were picking up others, but in professional Broadway mixing, there's uh, they do what's called line-by-line mixing, where the guy at the sound console is actually literally mixing line-by-line. If one person is speaking, only that person's mic is up. And then if another person switches to their line, he brings down that first one and puts up a second one. Or if it's a group, he'll push up a group. You know, it's literally line by line. His fingers are moving at the speed of light. He has to know every single line of the show. He's, he either knows it by heart because he's done it so many times or he has a script in front of him where he's like, where he's got numbers in front of all the lines and the numbers are listed above the faders. So he's, it's like one by one. It's interesting because, you know, I've, I've gone to shows and have sat behind, you know, the sound desk and sometimes that that can be as interesting to watch as a show watching, you know, one or two people just like, you know, moving everything around and I look at those boards and it just gives me anxiety. You know, the number of dials, the number of fate, like, yeah. like there's no way they can know what every single one of those does, but but you do. Well, I'll give you a um, small tidbit of information that'll make it less anxiety. You'll have less anxiety is that 90% of the console is really the same thing repeated over and over and over again, because you'll have a set of dials for one channel of audio, and then it just repeats for however many channels of audio you have. So it's really the same thing just repeated like tons of times, depending on the console. And going back to where you said about having it on the forehead, it's more consistent. So if you're setting up labs or mics on film or TV and you could put a lab, someone's wearing a wig or a hat or something, is it better to try to place it up higher rather than down below them? Well, it depends because there is a difference. In theater, they do wear it in their forehead and it is 
concealed. Like I know the sound mixer for the tour of, uh, for one of the tours of Wicked, and he gave me like a backstage tour once. It's not totally hidden in Broadway. Right. They do it like in Wicked specifically. Like they'll um, they'll actually, uh, if you're talking about like the witch, it's not like hidden in the hat. It's actually poking down a little bit further down the forehead, uh, so that it's in open free air. But then they paint it green. So in terms of theater, it's not totally hidden. But the audience is so far away that they're not going to notice. And because it's painted green, it right. just blends in. With actors on set, we're different. We need to make sure things are not seen. Period. Because we know cameras can get really up close. You know, you can have tight headshots. And if you're seeing this thing poking out right. through their head, I mean, it's going to be obviously visible. So it's still different. And putting a mic at like the brim of a hat mm-hmm. is still going to sound way different than it kind of poking out a hat um, because it's an open free space. Thinking back to when you were beginning, what are some rookie mistakes that you'd say film students or even amateur filmmakers often do that can just be avoided if did something fairly simple or new a little bit from an expert? Are we talking about in terms of laving or, or anything? Anything laving. Like I know we, we've run into situations and I was going to ask you this later, like I've had, there's four actors all with equal amount of dialogue. You have three labs, one boom and a four channel mixer. What do you do? Um, well, this, I find this a lot in, um, in any, whether it's film, live music, whatever, uh, in amateur hour, it's this set it and forget it mentality. Um, a lot of people like to say, okay, we're going to leave it alone and we're not going to do anything or we're going to, okay, the levels sound good. We're not going to touch it at all. That seems to be a common thing that I see in beginners maybe because they don't know what to do or they're just or they just have like okay I'm gonna leave it alone mm-hmm. um, actively doing if I'm not doing something I get anxiety because I need to be actively making sure 100% of the time that I'm doing something to make sure this sound is as good as possible and if I'm gonna add one more thing to that specifically it's wireless frequency coordination and that is an art and a sign, science on its own but what I do see especially a lot of people that like to do the, the filming but they don't have a budget for audio it comes a lot in corporate stuff, but they're like, oh, well, the video guy will just bring the labs. They'll use the same frequencies over and over again. And then they wonder why, well, I had noises and interference here, but not over here. The frequency spectrum changes from one location to another, whether you've gone from one street down the block to another street up the road. Uh, you know, the frequency spectrum will change. So you need to be able to compensate for that. Uh, you need to be able to tell your producers, directors, hey, when we get to new location, I got to rescan, I got to retune. That will always ensure your best audio performance. Interesting. Can you keep going with that? Because that's, like I said, a lot of, you know, even like independent films I've been on and smaller shoots, there's often a mentality that like, hey, just put the labs on. Any any idiot can hold a boom mic and we'll, we'll just record like, like the frequency scanning. It's really an art and a science. Uh, it took me a bit of time. I, I really got the hang of it when I started doing theater. So I remember a theater company asked me to come in. They were having a, a special show and they needed to coordinate 32 channels of wireless. And they were just using regular rack mounted boxes. And they had like, you know, 32 channels, multiplied that by two. You had 64 whip antennas sticking out the backs of this giant rack of stuff. They were getting dropouts. And it was in that situation where like, okay, I really need to understand what's happening. Uh, it's taken many trial and error, trying to figure it out, understanding the science of how it works. Um, it, it's really hard to explain in, in layman's terms because it really is a science, 
but I, I think that the best advice I can give is that if you're going to a set, just scan for frequencies, even if it's like on the Sennheiser packs, which most people use, scan for frequencies, let it automatically pick a frequency that it thinks is good if you don't know anything more and then roll with it. But redo the frequency scanning at every new location. A- again, it's really hard to, to explain without getting into the science of it. Um, frequencies is... Like you said, it's something that, that the layman or something, even people working industry in the industry, unless you work in sound, don't really have a grasp, don't have any grasp. It, it's just wireless electromagnetic energy going through the air. I'll try and give a basic example. If you go to a shoot location and you see, if you see in the distance, those big cell phone towers, or maybe there's a, a, a TV station with large satellite antennas. If you look at a frequency spectrum analyzer on a graph, you'll just see a bunch of noise show up on the graph. It'll just look like a big block Mm -hmm. and they're transmitting stuff there and they're transmitting in very high power to reach very high distances. If you try to operate your little Sennheiser G3, G4, which is broadcasting in the milliwatts on top of that same frequency, you're not going to be able to punch through. Um, Your wireless is is competing too much with something else that's just like on top of it. It's like like sitting on top of a person and they can't move. Interesting stuff. We're going to keep digging into this a little more, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we are back. Today, I am joined by Abe Olegzianski. Abe, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we started talking about it a little bit, uh, so many different areas you've worked in as an audio engineer, and you were starting to talk about the differences between how you approach a live concert versus a commercial versus a film shoot versus a a TV shoot. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about those? What some of the big differences are? What are some of the small differences are? And, uh, you know, I think a lot of similarities are probably fairly, fairly obvious. But so what I would say is they aren't as different as they're made out to seem, at least in my experience. Dealing with talent on a stage versus dealing with talent on a film set, I don't treat them any differently. You know, they're just people, even if maybe they happen to be, you know, like A-list stars or something or whatever. They're still people have the same demeanor. If we're talking about that there are two very different uh, industries that require different applications and knowledge, for me, I don't see them being that different. For me, I approach them similarly. Audio is audio at the end of the day. It's just the source material is different and that's what changes. And that's about the only part where um, maybe the technical aspects or the way you deal with those uh, certain instruments or or sound sources uh, differ. But other than that, audio is audio at the end of the day. I still have a gain structure. I still have audio routing. I still have wireless, uh, wireless frequency management. It, it, it's all the same. It's just the application is different. That's all I can say. It's funny. Every time you say wireless frequency management, I think of this is Spinal Tap, where there's a scene, you know, they're playing a concert at a, I think it's an Air Force base, and their wireless mics keep getting interference with like the uh, the air traffic control tower and the jets. Uh, sorry, I'm, pro- I'm probably showing my age. So let's say someone's shooting with, with limited sound equipment you know they have they have a boom mic they have a couple labs but they need to record multiple like how can someone maximize their sound department with limited resources what i would say is there needs to be a frank discussion with production 
you're like, this is what I have. You know, if all you have, let's just say for a second, all you had was a boom. Really starting out, wireless equipment can get expensive. Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing I recommend actually being not frugal on is wireless. Cheap wireless doesn't help anybody. Um, but it's having a very frank dis discussion with productions. If you only had the boom, be like, we can't do all these wide shots uh, and have so much space above a person's head or, or below their head um, and and be expected to capture uh, usable dialogue. E either that or you're going to have to do ADR in post. Um, if you're limited on wireless, then there has to be, again, frank discussion with production. Be like, this is what I have. This is what we have to work with. Um, and it's up to the sound mixer to come up with a game plan that best fits what they're going to be doing. If that means they have to move labs around, different people. Um, say you only had one lab, but you're doing a two-person scene. Um, well, we have to tell production, be like, okay, we need to do a close-up or tights on one person, record their dialogue, while still having the other actor like nearby giving their input for the scene, and then moving said equipment over to the next actor and you know shoot the reverse. Still have the scene and then do your best to put it together. But I mean, you really have to find and be creative this isn't just a technical job right. uh, you really have to find ways to be creative with what you have if you only have certain things I, I mean I've done things before where I'll give an example uh, I did uh, back earlier this year in April I did a shoot for Discovery Channel for Shark Week and we we're out in the middle of nowhere on a boat uh, 70 miles out west of Key West in an area called Dry Tortugas uh, which is also a national park and they had finished filming all the topside dialogue on the boat whatever and all the stuff in the water and they realized that they forgot to capture um, or they needed to capture some uh, underwater dialogue via this comm system that they have in the water uh, and I was just recording an out of this pelican case or whatever mm -hmm. but they realized they needed something else to make the whole picture in post kind of work so we started recording a, um, a radio mic like someone in another part of the boat talking through a radio mic and we were recording that because it sounded very similar um, you, you have to use all the tools available to you so I had a lav on that radio mic and I also had a boom on it. So they had options in post mm -hmm. to which one sounded more more or less close to that underwater comm system that they had. So, I mean, you just, you just have to get creative with it sometimes. Was it hard to get the labs on the sharks? <laughs> um, well, luckily for me, I wasn't in the water. Uh, they had expert divers for that. Like they were actual like scientists. Um, and there was actually one person's... Um, with the credit on screen was he's a shark wrangler oh, wow. and his sole job was to attract sharks to the boat and I wouldn't say antagonize them but like get them to like you know interact with the divers um, but no I did not do any miking of the sharks yeah. I like to say I mean in the shark the worldwide shark population have an agreement uh, I don't go in their homes they don't come into mine we're both very happy but you you bring up another interesting point where you talk about you know having to be creative and going back to what I said film you know is a visual medium we storyboard, you know, we break down a script. We do all these things, but at least none, no shoot have I been on have they actually sat down and really like made a true like sound plan like okay for this scene we're gonna do this and this you know we're gonna lab these two people we're gonna put, have the boom here um going back to what you should be being creative does it work you have one lab and it's a dinner scene like hiding the lab and a flower pot on the table or something, something like that i've hidden labs inside um you ever go to like a park and you have those wooden bench tables yep. uh i've hidden labs in like the crevice in between wood planks um, to capture dialogue between 
two people uh, because there was just no way to get a boom in. Um, and I couldn't put a lab. I, ha- I had more than one lab in that situation, uh, but I was specifically recording just one of the characters, but he was wearing a very thin white kind of undershirt tank top. And there was no way to put the lav on him where it wouldn't show um, because it, w- it was too tight on him and it-, it was white and I only had black labs at the time. So I was like, all right, what can I do? So I put the lab in the table and I got usable dialogue. So have you ever, and maybe you did this at the beginning, so it doesn't happen too much. Anymore. Have you ever recorded something? Sounds awesome. Sounds great. Then you go and listen to the playback when you're going to mix it. And it's like, wait a minute, what happened? This sounds horrible. Um, Thankfully, no. Okay. Um, I haven't had that happen. I, I'm pretty meticulous with what I listened to in the beginning uh, before we get the camera rolling. Um, the only time I can probably say it's never happened, but the only time that can happen is if I need to send a lav away. Actually, I did something like this. Uh, I did a paranormal ghost hunting show in uh, Detroit and I had to send, there was only one of me and we had to split the team of ghost hunters. I'm like, I can't be in two places at once. I can't cover an entire building. So I went with the main crew and then the second crew, which was just one person and a camera guy, I had a wireless receiver mounted on top of his camera, feeding audio directly into his camera. I had everything set uh, from my end because I can still kind of dial into his lab uh, from kind of far away. Uh, But I made sure it was good until they left. And after that, I'm like, production, you know, I don't have any control over this once I leave uh, or once he leaves the vicinity of my bag. So it'll kind of just be up to the camera guy if he wants to monitor audio or, or what have you. Interesting. And going back to mentioning boom mics, one of the good things about boom mics is they pick up everything. One of the problems I've run into using a boom mic is they pick up everything. So aside, you know, usually I, I know the, the quick answer is just ADR afterwards, but when you're doing a shoot, especially in Miami, you know, or any metropolitan area, there's so much outside noise, whether, you know, environmental noise to deal with, whether it's planes flying overhead, you could stop for, but everything from traffic to thunder in, in the background. Is there anything that can be done to have, you know, your labs or your boom, like pick up dialogue and like drown everything else out? Or is that stuff that just has to be done in post or magic? There are certain things you can do to help mitigate, but you're never going to be able to get rid of it um, or even most of it. You know, if you've got planes flying overhead or if you got a shop next door blasting a, right. a TV, you, you can control what you can control. And then there are the things you can't control. So if you got a plane flying overhead, yeah, you can stop. But if you just got like an incessant like noise, like if you're trying to shoot a scene and there's a restaurant next door, I would say maybe try and use it to your advantage. And this comes back to your question about making a plan with sound, which I know I didn't really answer. But in the in that particular situation, what I would do is tell production, hey, we got this restaurant here. We can't really do anything about it. Is there anything in this scene where it would make sense to hear that noise in the background? You know, if you're in, um, you know, if you're in a city center and you're trying to record dialogue, you're not, you know, imagine being in New York City and you hear taxis <laughs> rolling by you and they're honking. You're not going to be able to get rid of that. So you're just going to have, it works with the scene. If they hear it, they're going to know they're in a city center. If you do it in ADR and you don't hear anything else, if you don't hear the city behind it, then it's just going to sound weird and out of place. Yeah. So in that instance, they would um, add the city in afterwards with effects and foley and whatever. Um, if it's, if the noise is too much that it can't be drowned out, then be like, hey, we, we're going to have to ADR this later, but 
capture enough dialogue where it's still intelligible so that when they go to do the ADR session, the actors can listen back to it and be like, how did I deliver this? And they can kind of deliver as good a performance as they can to match that one. And coming back to the the plan for sound, these are all things that need to be considered. I haven't been on a shoot yet where I've actually been uh, able to plan out a sound or have a sound plan. Because a lot of the stuff I do is just kind of show up, do your thing. If you have the opportunity, take it. Do the location scouts. Or if there is no location scout, go do it yourself maybe. Uh, just get an idea of what you're going to be dealing with ahead of time. And this also includes those other things we spoke about. If you have limited amount of equipment, you know what you have, tell production, and then you can give them your best ideas uh, of what you can do um, with what they want to film. Can you nearby environmental noise, like use the restaurant example, can that be blocked? Like if you put up some giant floppies, they're not thick, but like the black floppies, can those muffle or drown out sound or it's really not worth the effort? I mean, if you're outdoors and you want to put up like a giant wall of stuff, it might help a little bit. But in the grand scheme of things, I, I would say it might it might be a lot more extra effort that might be worth it, especially considering what kind of budget you have. You know, if you're uh, James Cameron and you got this giant budget to make Avatar, then you're going to use everything to your advantage. But if you're a small budget, um, then you're just going to have to roll with it. Is it worth it to put up sound baffles or things outdoors? I would say probably not so much. Indoors, it can be very useful. I mean, I've thrown up sound blankets inside uh, rooms before to kind of deaden the echoing sound of the room um, or the, yeah, the echoing sound of the room. Just kind of deaden that a little bit. And post can sometimes not take it out, but minimize it. I mean, there's a lot of software out these days, like Isotopes uh, RX, uh, where you can, it has AI built into it where it can kind of not filter out a voice, but like kind of pick it out a little bit and reduce everything else. But if you go too heavy handed with it, then it starts to sound not natural. So I would do your best. Even with the boom mics that you mentioned, they pick up everything. Yes, but boom mics specifically, they're they're called shotgun mics because they have a tight pickup pattern. So they're really picking up what's directly in front of it and not what's really around it. So if you can kind of think of a very long oval in, in front of the microphone, that's kind of its general um, viewpoint of what it's listening to. You know, microphones listen very differently than our ears do. Right. Our ears, you know, we can actively, our brains can actively tune out, you know, a party full of noise and to try and listen to one person, but a microphone can't. So you use those kinds of things to use them to your advantage. So if that restaurant is behind you um, and you point the mic away from it, you have a better chance of reducing that noise more than if you were pointing your mic towards that restaurant and trying to pick up the dialogue. So you, you have to use the tools that you have uh, to your advantage. Lav mics are almost always omnidirectional. There are directional lav mics, but without getting into the science of it, they have this thing, um, there's directional lav mics. They have a, they're more susceptible to lower frequency. Um, whereas omnidirectional mics kind of have a flatter frequency response and they pick up things a little bit more naturally. Very interesting. And you mentioned 
couple minutes ago about you you've rarely if never have had the opportunity to plan ahead you kind of show up on set that's actually an area that i want to dig into a little more and we will do that in the next segment but first we're gonna take another quick break but before that we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible cinevideotech who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968 providing equipment support and training and comtv who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment this is howard brand you're listening to the cinema pathway podcast we'll be right back And we're back. Hey, right before the break, we're starting to talk about your approach. Like when you get to a shoot, you're pretty much kind of finding out everything right when you get there. So can you take us through your typical day? You know, you show up on a shoot. What happens? Uh, Well, I did want to just mention really quick that the thing I forgot in the last segment was the proximity effect. Directional microphones, the closer you get to them, they pick up more bass frequencies. But anyway, to answer your question, um, typical day when I show up on a shoot, uh, first thing I do is I talk to the assistant cameras and uh, I ask them what cameras we're using. I also tend to find those things out ahead of time uh, so that I know what extra cables I might need to bring, but I go to the cameras, I check them out, I ask them what frame rate uh, frame rate we're filming in, um, and then I go to my bag, I get time code running, uh, usually time of day, um, and then I jam all my devices, my time code boxes, I get all appropriate cables, I jam the slate, if I have my digital slate, um, and then I start um, putting all the, the time code boxes and or audio hops if they ask for them for like audio scratch tracks, and just kind of get the cameras ready with audio. Sometimes I have to like kind of work with them because they're probably building the camera at the same time. But if they're a really good camera department, they'll probably have it all done before I even show up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I find out that that's the first part is I find out what the situation with the cameras is, get them ready. And then I speak to whoever the director is. I ask them, what's the, the talent count? If I don't know, sometimes it changes from when I booked the shoot to actually being there. Um, and I ask them where we're shooting, what we're doing, if it's an interview, if we're shooting a film on a beach or what the general picture of what we're shooting is so that I can prepare my equipment. I can prepare myself kind of have like a a hip pouch with all types of tools and tapes and all kinds of little pieces that can get lost very easily, which is about the only annoying thing I hate about my job (laughs) is losing all these tiny things because every company wants to charge you $20 for like a tiny little thing like this. But yeah, you know, I kind of make sure I have everything that I could possibly need, the tools, the tapes, the batteries, the the labs. If, uh, you know, if I need four labs throughout the day, uh, but I'm only using one right now, I'll kind of have them in my bag ready to go with new batteries in them with the appropriate mounting devices, um, with the appropriate tapes, um, having spare batteries for my bag itself. If I know I'm not going to be around a base charger or a wall outlet, Mm -hmm. if I'm doing an interview, that's easy. I can just plug my bag into a wall or even just run it off a battery and then just kind of sit there and make sure everything sounds good. Uh, you know, if I'm running around, which is usually tends to be the case on a lot of reality TV shoots, you know, I kind of have to have (laughs) almost everything on me 
in case of anything shows up. Because in reality TV, especially, we might be in downtime and then, oh, they're 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 starting a prayer or something, or they're, do, they're just doing something that's that they want to capture. I got to be able to like pick up and just go at a moment's notice. I could be in the middle of lunch. It's happened. We try not to do it during lunch, but there are like little moments that they'll want to capture in like a moment. So you just got to be ready at any given moment. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer like actually being right there, you know, maybe even holding the boom, I guess like in the action, or do you like being able to sit back with the mixing board, you know, kind of in front of you or, or the, the sound recorder and being able to like really um, like monitor and manage like the sound from like a more stable spot? No, honestly, if I, as long as I'm not sitting at a desk at home, I'm good. <laughs> I, I, I prefer being out in the field, whether it's mixing, boom mopping, running sound on a stage, whatever. As long as I'm away from my desk, I'm a happy camper. That brings up a good point. Eventually, you probably have to go back to your desk. What does your post workflow look like? Um, well, I don't do too much post yeah. these days. I have done, I know I did post for one film earlier this year, um, but I think that was like the only one I did. Um, sometimes I'll go back if, um, you know, if a client calls and they'll say, hey, uh, do you have this audio file or we, we lost the hard drive or the hard drive crashed? Can, I always keep a backup of all my stuff, all my shoots. Mm-hmm. Um, so that anytime a client calls, uh, if they lost something or it gets lost, whatever, I can immediately have it in my Dropbox and just send them a link. Here's everything you need. Let me know what else you need. Or they're like, hey, we weren't able to grab this. Um, is there any post work you can do? We'll pay you. Um, can you just fix this? And then I'll, I'll do it. But I don't really do post these okay. days. Okay. So you just basically download the sound files or give a hard drive to the client and let their editor and post team figure it out. That must be nice. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you've worked with a broad, wide range of of clients. Um, What type of shoots do you enjoy most? Commercials, film, you know, will music always be your first love? I mean, music was my first love. Well, I still love it. I literally just did a gig last night uh, with with music, uh, string quartet playing tributes to Beyonce. Um, So that was cool. I I can't really say I like one over the other. And you mentioned you have your, your little bag to bring with you. What, aside from equipment, uh, what are some of those must-have that you always bring? I know back when I was in, you know, in film school, when I would it be my turn to do sound, D-rings were like vital because if you don't roll and hook the cords up to something with the D-ring, you're going to be tripping all over the place. What are some of the insider tips that people should look to have? Bungo ties. Um, I have a whole bag of them. Can't tell you how many times uh, I've saved camera departments, but because they don't have bongo ties. What are bongo ties? They're basically like uh, these rubber bands that have these kind of little wooden dowels at the end. And it basically uh, lets you just kind of wrap stuff around. Um, so if I need to like hook a, a time code box onto a camera, but it doesn't have any Velcro tape or anything on it, well, I'll just take this giant rubber band and wrap it, the bongo tie around the camera to kind of hold down the time code box. It's just a fancy rubber band, but they're used a lot on set to like hold things onto the camera. And you always get them back, right? Oh, I, I make sure I get them back. I don't let people leave without them. So I know you mentioned you don't do a lot of post work anymore, but do you keep sound reports and are those important to pass on to the post team? Yeah. So I make sound reports for everything. Usually I don't like naming files by like, unless I'm doing like a film or something specific where there are scene names. In reality TV, we don't really have scene names per se. So what I do is I just kind of name all the files by the date of the shoot. And then in the notes, I start writing what each scene is. Uh, this was this interview with that person, or we were filming this guy uh, film uh, fishing off the side of the boat, or I, I don't know, this uh, this couple was talking. 
walking or just anything that can identify what happened in the scene. And then if there's something else that necessarily happens in the scene, um, I don't know, someone leaves the frame at this time marker or there was a noise at this time marker or, or just something, anything that I can put in those notes to make them more detailed for posts so they know what to expect, the better. When you're doing all that by yourself, do you find it hard to keep up? Like you're trying to do the sound, you're trying to write down what just happened, get ready for the next scene. It's just like multitasking. <laughs> Sometimes it can get a little crazy. Sometimes I just have to kind of, if you know, if my hands are on a boom and I can't have my hands on my phone typing in notes um, because I type them in on my phone and it Bluetooths to the, to the mixer, um, then I just kind of have to remember as best I can. If I have time afterwards, you know, maybe I'll go and play back the files just to kind of remember what each of the scenes were. And if I need to, I can ask production, be like, hey, what was this scene called or what were we doing here? Just so I can write it in the notes. So post has something. If you just give them audio files and let them fend for themselves and they have a question, let's put it this way. The less I hear from post, the better. If I don't hear from them at all, great. I did my job. We've talked on this podcast you know, with, with a few different areas of production, you know, we've talked to like script supervisors, talked to makeup and effects, which kind of fall into the afterthought category sometimes. Sound is obviously important, but everything, it seems, is always secondary to like the cameras. Can you talk about, we touched on a little bit before, especially to like amateur filmmakers, especially to like indie filmmakers, people with, with tight budgets, just how important, how vital it is that if you have resources, put them to sound like don't cheap out on sound or don't cut corners with sound i think is a better way here's an interesting answer i have for you and i actually only realized this after reading a book like i knew it but i didn't actually like totally realize it until i read this book by a utility sound technician in, in la sound will know most of what goes on in every other department before every other department knows what's happening in sound. We need to deal with wardrobe. We need to deal with camera. We need to deal with effects. We need to deal with lighting. But those departments don't necessarily worry about us. So we know a lot about almost all the jobs on set, whereas all the other jobs are like, we don't have a clue what sound does. So if you put us on the team, you will have more at your disposal than if we were not on the team because we have such a broader knowledge of all the other departments and what goes on than any other department knows about us. It's interesting. When you first started talking about that, I thought you were going to bring up, there's a scene in Living in Oblivion where the sound, you know, they're in between takes and the uh, the actress forgets that she has a lav on and he doesn't turn his recorder off and he's listening to their intimate conversations about stuff. That's when I thought you, that's where I thought you were going where sound knows everything that's going on because we're always eavesdropping. I mean, <laughs> we, we do. I mean, I mean, the amount of times I've also heard people go to the bathroom is like annoying. Same thing like, like with all the Zoom meetings people have had these days. And one last question, what's your most memorable experience? Like what was you know, either one that stands out or one, you know, maybe early in your career where you weren't sure if this is what you wanted to do and you were like, oh yeah, this is this is where I'm supposed to be. I got into film sound. I, I always knew I liked movies, always. I was the kid growing up that went to all the movies and I was working in live music for since college uh, and a friend asked me if I wanted to come and boom up for his indie film. Um, he was the sound mixer on the shoot and I was like, okay, sure, why not? Thought it'd be a cool experience and since then I just kept doing it and I never stopped. What's your dream, like what's your dream 
shoot or dream concert or um dream concert work with john williams thousand percent and i actually technically already have but i i wasn't like a, i didn't have any direct conversations with him or i wasn't directly involved with him i worked at the new world symphony on miami beach um and they did a gala concert there where he was there in person conducting them through some of his music wow. and i was just in awe the entire time but i want to work like more directly with him like you better hurry up and get a job on a new indiana jones film because that's gonna be his last one what one day uh dream film job I, I don't really have one at the moment one day i would like to work on you know like a bigger film a lot of what i do these days is really just a reality tv uh real housewives of miami shark week uh, Mo- uh master distiller on discovery channel i just, you know, there's a bunch of them um but I, I, don't, I don't really have a a dream job per se i can say the one that stands out the most is probably the shark week one because we lived out on a yacht in the middle of the ocean for three days and we our sole purpose was to just capture divers uh you know mess with sharks <laughs> all day cool stuff we're gonna take one more quick break and we'll be right back to finish up this episode to our listeners if you enjoy listening to our podcast please support us by subscribing to the cinema pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase to Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. We'll be right back. I'm Howard Brand, and we are talking today with audio engineer Abe Oleksniansky. Abe, uh, so what projects are you currently working on? Um, well, the next one I got coming up is working with Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton for their uh, New Year's NBC live concert show at the end of the year. Uh, that'll be That's a, exciting. That'll be a few days. I did it last year, too, and they brought me back again this year. Did they film that up in Nashville? No, they filmed that here in Miami. Oh, really? At, at the Telemundo Center, like in the parking lot. Oh, wow. They build a whole stage out there. It's kind of nuts. And then in the new year, I've got a couple of gigs. One I can't talk about. The other one is... Uh, that follows that is some reality show that's brand new. I don't know anything about it, but I was asked to come on board uh, because they need five audio mixers, uh, like five guys with five separate bags. I was like, okay, that'll be new. And then after that, I got another Shark Week uh, shoot in the Bahamas coming up uh, for four days. That sounds rough. You know, middle of uh, <laughs> beginning of February, you know, in the Bahamas, total drag. Nice. So, uh, you know, looking, looking down the road, what does your future look like? Like, where do you want to go with this? I don't want to make it seem like I'm like this big expert I'm the best sound mixer. I'm not. Um, you know, I've only actually been doing sound mixing for film for like five or six years. Audio for about 13 or 14. But I just want to get better, get my name out there even more, have people actually know me, um, get on bigger shows, maybe eventually even do like you know, like a big union movie or something. I don't know, like do those Avatar movies or the Marvel movies or you know, just something a little bit more. Something in the big leagues. Something in the big leagues. Yeah. Let's go to the other end of that spectrum. If uh, if someone is interested in pursuing this as a career, you know, they want to be an audio engineer, they really want to learn how to do sound right, Where where's the best place for them to start? Are we talking about like film audio? Film, audio, commercials, mu- music, just in, in general. I mean, I went to school and I studied audio. You don't necessarily have to go that route, but I mean, it definitely, definitely afforded me like contact. Honestly, if you're going to get into it, reach out to the local guys that do it on a regular basis. 
those are the guys that are going to know what's up, where to go, who uh, who to talk to. If there's anything I can recommend, just build the network. I know that sounds like extremely cliche, but more and more I found Fact. like it's just at the end of the day, it's who I know. Like I keep a running spreadsheet of every person that I meet on any job. And then I literally just reach out like every, if I don't hear from them after the job, every three months, I look at my uh, spreadsheet and be like, all right, who have I worked with in the last three months? Well, let me reach out to them, see if they need anything, if they're a producer or if they're just another audio mixer, you know, just react, hey, what's up? What you been doing? Get friendly with the local guys that already do it. They can help you get in. I've made so many jobs from just people just like producers will call them be like, hey, are you available? They're not available, but I got a guy because I just spoke to him five minutes ago or two days ago or whatever. And they're like, go talk to him. You mentioned a book that you read that really impacted you. Are there other resources, other books that you could recommend, place for someone to go? Um, for film audio, that's really the only one that I can think of, but I don't remember the name exactly, but it's uh, she's a utility sound technician in, uh, has been in the business forever. I think her name is Petruska something. I can't remember her name, honestly. Um, I, if I find out afterwards, maybe you can put it like in the description of the podcast or something. Uh, but she's been in the business forever and because she's the utility sound tech she fills multiple roles like she helps move all the equipment but sometimes she's asked to jump in on a boom op or jump in on sound mixing on the next unit or whatever so she's kind of done like all the jobs uh and she has so much insight in that book it's like crazy like i thought i was good at my job i read the book i'm like oh i can do that i mean they've got she's got lab tips in there business tips in there recommendations for like keeping up your health uh because that's important if you're just working yourself to the bone all the time or you work with crews that maybe take advantage of you and your time or whatever. Like she, she throws it all in there and it's like a super easy read. Yeah. That's probably good for anybody in the, in the industry to, uh, to read about. Um, you know, there's an old adage. If you want to direct, grab a camera, start, start shooting. If you want to write, read, obviously, you know, if you want to do audio, listen to things, but is it good advice? Would you say for someone, you know what, record some audio and then just start, you know, put it on your computer into GarageBand or some mix and just start experimenting and playing or or do you find that if someone's going to learn it, learn the right way? Or is it a fine line? I think there is a fine line. I, I do think if you want to start, um, I, I would say, you know, start with whatever you got, you know, buy whatever small piece of kit you can. But I would also really suggest more so than not, if you can learn the proper ways. And this comes back to what I said earlier about reaching out to the local guys that do it already. Mm-hmm. They're going to show you how to do it the right way or it, or at least have best practices. I don't want to say there's hard and fast rules for everything. There are some things where you'd be like, okay, well, you you should do it this way, or this is like a general practice. This this is how you're going to get the best results. You don't want you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, But again, there are no really hard fast rules. Like there's nothing anywhere that says I can't mic up a person by slipping it in between the cracks of a table. Um, You know, it sounds good. Great. Um, But yeah, I I would say learn from the guys that already do it. Find a mentor, reach out to anybody. I did a project in school. This is good. Where they had me reach out to someone in the business and just interview them about what they do, how they do it. Um, And I interviewed the guy that orchestrates all of John Williams's music. So, So So that had a lot of insight, but that led me down a road where now I literally just reach out to anybody. If they don't answer, maybe they have better things to do. Maybe they don't care about helping out the, the new, whatever. Some 
somebody will answer at some point and it will be life-changing. That's awesome advice. Last question. Where can our listeners follow you on either socials or check out your website or just keep up with you? My website's still being built. Um, something else I'm still working on. But if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Olek Audio, O-L-E-K-A-U-D-I-O. Um, if you can find the time to spell my last name on Facebook, I'm sure it'll, I'm the only one on the planet with my last name. Um, not very many Oleksnianskis in the world. But yeah, maybe in the future I'll have a website. I also have my own production company um, called The Guild Live, uh, theguildlive.com. We've got some stuff on there, but honestly, between me and my business partners, we're so busy working, we haven't touched the website in a minute, but there's some stuff on there. That's a common theme of all the podcast guests that, that we have. It's like, I have a website. I started a website. I'm trying to make a, a website and it's it's good. You know, everyone's so busy working. Yeah. If, if you're busy working that you don't have time to put the website together, then I think you're doing something right. But I, I do want to have like a place to, right. to show because yeah. more often than not, people ask, do you have a resume? Do you have a website? Uh, if they don't know me at all, uh, it would be good to have. So I do have the resume. I just don't have it nice and fancy in right. a website. Well, Abe, this has been awesome. I have uh, I know I've learned a lot listening. I definitely think our listeners have learned a lot. So thankful for you being here today. Absolutely. Thank uh, you. We're happy to welcome you back anytime you want to come back and continuing the discussion and uh, wish you the best of luck and uh, we'll keep tabs on you. This was fun. This was my first podcast. Great. Thanks, Abe. All right. Take care. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions or feedback for future episodes be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast this is the Cinema Pathway podcast we'll see you next time lights out